BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Adventure 6 of The Return of Sherlock Holmes by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Adventure 6. The Adventure of Black Peter I have never known my friend to be in better form, both mental and physical, than in the year 95. His increasing fame had brought with it an immense practice, and I should be guilty of an indiscretion if I were even to hint at the identity of some of the illustrious clients who crossed our humble threshold in Baker Street. Holmes, however, like all great artists, lived for his art's sake, and, save in the case of the Duke of Holderness, I have seldom known him claim any large reward for his inestimable services. So unworldly was he, or so capricious, that he frequently refused his help to the powerful and wealthy, where the problem made no appeal to his sympathies, while he would devote weeks of most intense application to the affairs of some humble client whose case presented those strange and dramatic qualities which appealed to his imagination and challenged his ingenuity. In this memorable year 95, a curious and incongruous succession of cases had engaged his attention, ranging from his famous investigation of the sudden death of Cardinal Tosca, an inquiry which was carried out by him at the express desire of His Holiness the Pope, down to his arrest of Wilson, the notorious canary trainer which removed a plague spot from the east end of london close on the heels of these two famous cases came the tragedy of woodman's lee and the very obscure circumstances which surrounded the death of captain peter carey no record of the doings of mr sherlock holmes would be complete which did not include some account of this very unusual affair during the first week of july my friend had been absent so often and so long from our lodgings that i knew he had something on hand the fact that several rough-looking men called during that time and inquired for captain basil made me understand that holmes was working somewhere under one of the numerous disguises and names with which he concealed his own formidable identity he had at least five small refuges in different parts of london in which he was able to change his personality he said nothing of his business to me and it was not my habit to force a confidence the first positive sign which he gave me of the direction which his investigation was taking was an extraordinary one he had gone out before breakfast and i had sat down to mine when he strode into the room his hat upon his head 
and a huge barbed-headed spear tucked like an umbrella under his arm good gracious holmes i cried you don't mean to say that you've been walking about london with that thing i drove to the butchers and back the butchers and i return with an excellent appetite there can be no question my dear watson of the value of exercise before breakfast but i am prepared to bet that you will not guess the form that my exercise has taken i will not attempt it he chuckled as he poured out the coffee if you could have looked into allardyce's back shop you would have seen a dead pig swung from a hook in the ceiling and a gentleman in his shirt sleeves furiously stabbing at it with this weapon i was that energetic person and i have satisfied myself that by no exertion of my strength can i transfix the pig with a single blow perhaps you would care to try not for worlds but why were you doing this because it seemed to me to have an indirect bearing upon the mystery of woodman's lee ah hopkins i got your wire last night and i have been expecting you come and join us our visitor was an exceedingly alert man thirty years of age dressed in a quiet tweed suit but retaining the erect bearing of one who was accustomed to official uniform i recognized him at once as stanley hopkins a young police inspector for whose future holmes had high hopes while he in turn professed the admiration and respect of a pupil for the scientific methods of the famous amateur hopkins's brow was clouded and he sat down with an air of deep dejection no thank you sir i breakfasted before i came round i spent the night in town for i came up yesterday to report and what have you to report failure sir absolute failure you have made no progress none dear me i must have a look at the matter i wish to heavens that you would mr holmes it's my first big chance and i'm at my wit's end for goodness sake come down and lend me a hand well well it just happens that i have already read all the available evidence including the report of the inquest with some care by the way what do you make of that tobacco pouch found on the scene of the crime is there no clue there hopkins looked surprised it was the man's own pouch sir his initials were inside it and it was of sealskin and he was an old sealer but he had no pipe no sir we could find no pipe indeed he smoked very little and yet he might have kept some tobacco for his friends no doubt i only mention it because if i had been handling the case i should have been inclined to make that the starting point of my investigation however my friend dr watson knows nothing of this matter and i should be none the worse for hearing the sequence of events once more just give us some short sketches of the essentials stanley hopkins drew a slip of paper from his pocket i'll have a few dates here which will give you the career of the dead man captain peter carey he was born in forty five fifty years of age he was a most daring and successful seal and whale fisher in eighteen eighty three he commanded the steam sealer sea unicorn of dundee 
he had then had several successful voyages in succession and in the following year 1884 he retired after that he traveled for some years and finally he bought a small place called woodman's lee near forest row in sussex there he has lived for six years and there he died just a week ago today there were some most singular points about the man in ordinary life he was a strict puritan a silent gloomy fellow his household consisted of his wife his daughter aged twenty and two female servants these last were continually changing but it was never a very cheery situation and sometimes it became past all bearing the man was an intermittent drunkard and when he had to fit on him he was a perfect fiend he has been known to drive his wife and daughter out of doors in the middle of the night and flog them through the park until the whole village outside the gates was aroused by their screams he was summoned once for a savage assault upon the old vicar who had called upon him to remonstrate with him upon his conduct in short mr holmes you would go far before you found a more dangerous man than peter carey and i've heard that he bore the same character when he commanded his ship he was known in his trade as black peter and the name was given him not only on account of his swarthy features and the color of his huge beard but for the humors which were the terror of all around him i need not say that he was loathed and avoided by every one of his neighbors and that i have not heard one single word of sorrow about his terrible end you must have read in the account of the inquest about the man's cabin mr holmes but perhaps your friend here has not heard of it he had built himself a wooden outhouse he always called it the cabin a few hundred yards from his house and it was here that he slept every night it was a little single-roomed hut sixteen feet by ten he kept the key in his pocket made his own bed cleaned it himself and allowed no other foot to cross the threshold there are small windows on each side which were covered by curtains and never opened one of these windows was turned towards the high road and when the light burned in it at night the folk used to point it out to each other and wonder what black peter was doing in there that's the window mr holmes which gave us one of the few bits of positive evidence that came out at the inquest you remember that a stonemason named slater walking from forest row about one o'clock in the morning two days before the murder stopped as he passed the grounds and looked at the square of light still shining among the trees he swears that the shadow of a man's head turned sideways was clearly visible on the blind and that this shadow was certainly not that of peter carey whom he knew well it was that of a bearded man but the beard was short and bristled forward in a way very different from that of the captain so he says but he had been two hours in the public house and it is some distance from the road to the window besides this refers to the monday and the crime was done upon the wednesday on the tuesday peter carey was in one of his blackest moods flushed with drink and as savage as a dangerous wild beast he roamed about the house and the women ran for it when they heard him coming late in the evening he went down to his own hut about two o'clock the following morning his daughter who slept with her window open heard a most fearful yell from that direction 
but it was no unusual thing for him to bawl and shout when he was in drink so no notice was taken on rising at seven one of the maids noticed that the door of the hut was open but so great was the terror which the man caused that it was midday before anyone would venture down to see what had become of him peeping into the open door they saw a sight which sent them flying with white faces into the village within an hour i was on the spot and had taken over the case well i have fairly steady nerves as you know mr holmes but i give you my word that i got a shake when i put my head into that little house it was droning like a harmonium with flies and blue bottles and the floor and the walls were like a slaughterhouse he had called it a cabin and a cabin it was sure enough for you'd have thought that you were in a ship there was a bunk at one end a sea chest maps and charts a picture of the sea unicorn a line of log books on a shelf all exactly as one would expect to find it in a captain's room and there in the middle of it was the man himself his face twisted like a lost soul in torment and his great brindled beard stuck upward in his agony right through his broad breast a steel harpoon had been driven and it had sunk deep into the wood of the wall behind him he was pinned like a beetle on a card of course he was quite dead and had been so from the instant that he had uttered that last yell of agony i know your methods sir and i applied them before i permitted anything to be moved i examined most carefully the ground outside and also the floor of the room there were no footmarks meaning you saw none i assure you sir that there were none my good hopkins i have investigated many crimes but i have never yet seen one which was committed by a flying creature as long as the criminal remains upon two legs so long must there be some indentation some abrasion some trifling displacement which can be detected by the scientific searcher it is incredible that this blood bespattered room contained no trace which could have aided us i understand however from the inquest that there were some objects which you failed to overlook the young inspector winced at my companion's ironical comments i was a fool not to call you in at the time mr holmes however that's past praying for now yes there were several objects in the room which called for special attention one was the harpoon with which the deed was committed it had been snatched down from a rack on the wall two others remained there and there was a vacant place for the third on the stock was engraved ss seacorn dundee this seemed to establish that the crime had been done in a moment of fury and that the murderer had seized the first weapon which came his way the fact that the crime was committed at two in the morning and yet peter carey was fully dressed suggested that he had had an appointment with the murderer which is borne out by the fact that a bottle of rum and two dirty glasses stood upon the table yes said holmes i think that both inferences are permissible was there any other spirit but rum in the room yes and there was a tantalus containing brandy and whisky on the sea chest it is of no importance to us however since the decanters were full and it had therefore not been used 
for all that its presence has some significance said holmes however let us hear some more about the objects which do seem to you to bear upon the case there was this tobacco pouch upon the table what part of the table it lay in the middle it was of course seal skin the straight haired skin with a leather thong to bind it inside was p c on the flap there was half an ounce of strong ship's tobacco in it excellent what more stanley hopkins drew from his pocket drab covered notebook the outside was rough and worn the leaves discolored on the first page were written the initials j h n and the date eighteen eighty three holmes laid it on the table and examined it in his minute way while hopkins and i gazed over each shoulder on the second page were the printed letters c p r and then came several sheets of numbers another heading was argentine another costa rica and another san paulo each with pages of signs and figures after it what do you make of these asked holmes they appear to be lists of stock exchange securities i thought that j h n were the initials of a broker and that c p r may have been his client try canadian pacific railway said holmes stanley hopkins swore between his teeth and struck his thigh with his clenched hand what a fool i've been he cried of course it is as you say then j h n are the only initials we have to solve i've already examined the old stock exchange lists and i can find no one in eighteen eighty three either in the house or among the outside brokers whose initials correspond with these yet i feel that the clue is the most important one that i hold you will admit mr holmes that there is a possibility that these initials are those of the second person who was present in other words of the murderer i would also urge that the introduction into the case of a document relating to large masses of valuable securities gives us from the first time some indication of a motive for the crime sherlock holmes's face showed that he was thoroughly taken aback by this new development i must admit both your points said he i confess that this notebook which did not appear at the inquest modifies any views which i may have formed i had come to a theory of the crime in which i can find no place for this have you endeavoured to trace any of the securities here mentioned inquiries are now being made at the offices but i fear that the complete register of the stockholders of these south american concerns is in south america and that some weeks must elapse before we can trace the shares holmes had been examining the cover of the notebook with his magnifying lens surely there is some discoloration here said he yes sir it is a bloodstain i told you that i picked the book off the floor was the bloodstain above or below on the side next the boards which proves of course that the book was dropped after the crime was committed exactly mr holmes i appreciated that point and i conjectured that it was dropped by the murderer in his hurried flight it lay near the door 
i suppose that none of these securities have been found among the property of the dead man no sir have you any reason to suspect robbery no sir nothing seemed to have been touched dear me it is certainly a very interesting case then there was a knife was there not a sheath knife still in its sheath it lay at the feet of the dead man mrs carey has identified it as being her husband's property holmes was lost in thought for some time well said he at last i suppose i shall have to come out and have a look at it stanley hopkins gave a cry of joy thank you sir that will indeed be a weight off my mind holmes shook his finger at the inspector it would have been an easier task a week ago said he but even now my visit may not be entirely fruitless watson if you can spare the time i should be very glad of your company if you will call a four-wheeler hopkins we shall be ready to start for forest row in a quarter of an hour alighting at the small wayside station we drove for some miles through the remains of widespread woods which were once part of that great forest which for so long held the saxon invaders at bay the impenetrable weald for sixty years the bulwark of britain vast sections of it have been cleared for this is at the seat of the first ironworks of the country and the trees have been felled to smelt the ore now the richer fields of the north have absorbed the trade and nothing save those ravaged groves and great scars in the earth show the work of the past here in a clearing upon the green slope of a hill stood a long low stone house approached by a curving drive running through the fields nearer the road and surrounded on three sides by bushes was a small outhouse one window and the door facing in our direction it was the scene of the murder stanley hopkins led us first to the house where he introduced us to a haggard gray-haired woman the widow of the murdered man whose gaunt and deep-lined face with the furtive look of terror in the depths of her red-rimmed eyes told of the years of hardship and ill-usage which she had endured with her was her daughter a pale fair-haired girl whose eyes blazed defiantly at us as she told us that she was glad that her father was dead and that she blessed the hand which had struck him down it was a terrible household that black peter carey had made for himself and it was with a sense of relief that we found ourselves in the sunlight again and making our way along a path which had been worn across the fields by the feet of the dead man the outhouse was the simplest of dwellings wooden walled shingle roofed one window beside the door and one on the farther side stanley hopkins drew the key from his pocket and had stooped to the lock when he paused with a look of attention and surprise upon his face someone has been tampering with it he said there could be no doubt of the fact the woodwork was cut and the scratches showed white through the paint as if they'd been that instant done holmes had been examining the window someone has tried to force this also whoever it was has failed to make his way in he must have been a very poor burglar this is a most extraordinary thing said the inspector i could swear that these marks were not here yesterday evening some curious person from the village perhaps 
i suggested very unlikely few of them would dare to set foot in the grounds far less try to force their way into the cabin what do you think of it mr holmes i think that fortune is very kind to us you mean that the person will come again it is very probable he came expecting to find the door open he tried to get in with the blade of a very small penknife he could not manage it what would he do come again next night with a more useful tool so i should say it will be our fault if we are not there to receive him meanwhile let me see the inside of the cabin the traces of the tragedy had been removed but the furniture within the little room still stood as it had been on the night of the crime for two hours with most intense concentration holmes examined every object in turn but his face showed that his quest was not a successful one only once he paused in his patient investigation have you taken anything off this shelf hopkins no i've moved nothing something has been taken there is less dust in this corner of the shelf than elsewhere it may have been a book lying on its side it may have been a box well well i can do nothing more let us walk in these beautiful woods watson and give a few hours to the birds and the flowers we shall meet you here later hopkins and see if we can come closer quarters with the gentleman who has paid this visit in the night it was past eleven o'clock when we formed our little ambuscade hopkins was for leaving the door of the hut open but holmes was of the opinion that this would rouse the suspicions of the stranger the lock was a perfectly simple one and only a strong blade was needed to push it back holmes also suggested that we should wait not inside the hut but outside it among the bushes which grew round the farther window in this way we should be able to watch our man if he struck a light and see what his object was in this stealthy nocturnal visit it was a long and melancholy vigil and yet brought with it something of the thrill which the hunter feels when he lies beside the water pool and waits for the coming of the thirsty beast of prey what savage creature was it which might steal upon us out of the darkness was it a fierce tiger of crime which could only be taken fighting hard with flashing fang and claw or would it prove to be some skulking jackal dangerous only to the weak and unguarded in absolute silence we crouched amongst the bushes waiting for whatever might come at first the steps of a few belated villagers or the sound of voices from the village lightened our vigil but one by one these interruptions died away and an absolute stillness fell upon us save for the chimes of the distant church which told us of the progress of the night and for the rustle and the whisper of a fine rain falling amid the foliage which roofed us in half past two had chimed and it was the darkest hour which precedes the dawn when we all started as a low but sharp click came from the direction of the gate someone had entered the drive again there was a long silence and i had begun to fear that it was a false alarm when a stealthy step was heard upon the other side of the hut and a moment later a metallic scraping and clinking the man was trying to force the lock this time 
his skill was greater or his tool was better for there was a sudden snap and the creak of the hinges then a match was struck and next instant the steady light from a candle filled the interior of the hut through the gauze curtain our eyes were all riveted upon the scene within the nocturnal visitor was a young man frail and thin with a black moustache which intensified the deadly pallor of his face he could not have been much above twenty years of age i have never seen any human being who appeared to be in such a pitiable fright for his teeth were visibly chattering and he was shaking in of every limb he was dressed like a gentleman in norfolk jacket and knickerbockers with a cloth cap upon his head we watched him staring round with frightened eyes then he laid the candle end upon the table and disappeared from our view into one of the corners he returned with a large book one of the log books which formed a line upon the shelves leaning on the table he rapidly turned over the leaves of this volume until he came to the entry which he sought then with an angry gesture of his clenched hand he closed the book replaced it in the corner and put out the light he had hardly turned to leave the hut when hopkins hand was on the fellow's collar and i heard his loud gasp of terror as he understood that he was taken the candle was relit and there was our wretched captive shivering and cowering in the grasp of the detective he sank down upon the sea chest and looked helplessly from one of us to the other now my fine fellow said stanley hopkins who are you and what do you want here the man pulled himself together and faced us with an effort at self-composure you are detectives i suppose said he you imagine i am connected with the death of captain peter carey i assure you that i am innocent we'll see about that said hopkins first of all what is your name it is john hopley nelligan i saw holmes and hopkins exchange a quick glance what are you doing here can i speak confidentially no certainly not why should i tell you if you have no answer it may go badly with you at the trial the young man winced well i will tell you he said why should i not and yet i hate to think of this old scandal gaining a new lease of life did you ever hear of dawson and nelligan i could see from hopkins face that he never had but holmes was keenly interested you mean the west country bankers said he they failed for a million ruined half the county families of cornwall and nelligan disappeared exactly nelligan was my father at last we were getting something positive and yet it seemed a long gap between an absconding banker and captain peter carey pinned against the wall with one of his own harpoons we all listened intently to the young man's words it was my father who was really concerned dawson had retired i was only ten years of age at the time but i was old enough to feel the shame and horror of it all it has always been said that my father stole all the securities and fled it is not true it was his belief that if he were given time in which to realize them all would be well and every creditor paid in full he started in his little yacht for norway just before the warrant was issued for his arrest i can remember that last night when he bade farewell to my mother 
he left us a list of the securities he was taking and he swore that he would come back with his honor cleared and that none who had trusted him would suffer well no word was ever heard from him again both the yacht and he vanished utterly we believed my mother and i that he and it with the securities that he had taken with him were at the bottom of the sea we had a faithful friend however who is a businessman and it was he who discovered some time ago that some of the securities which my father had with him had reappeared on the london market you can imagine our amazement i spent months in trying to trace them and at last after many doubtings and difficulties i discovered that the original seller had been captain peter carey the owner of this hut naturally i made some inquiries about the man i found that he had been in command of a whaler which was due to return from the arctic seas at the very time when my father was crossing to norway the autumn of that year was a stormy one and there was a long succession of southerly gales my father's yacht may well have been blown to the north and there met by captain peter carey's ship if that was so what had become of my father in any case if i could prove from peter carey's evidence how these securities came on the market it would be a proof that my father had not sold them and that he had no view to personal profit when he took them i came down to sussex with the intention of seeing the captain but it was at this moment that his terrible death occurred i read at the inquest a description of his cabin in which it stated that the old logbooks of his vessel were preserved in it it struck me that if i could see what occurred in the month of august eighteen eighty three on board the sea unicorn i might settle the mystery of my father's fate i tried last night to get at these logbooks but was unable to open the door tonight i tried again and succeeded but i find that the pages which deal with that month have been torn from the book it was that moment i found myself a prisoner in your hands is that all asked hopkins yes that is all his eyes shifted as he said you have nothing else to tell us he hesitated no there is nothing you have not been here before last night no then how do you account for that cried hopkins as he held up the damning notebook with the initials of our prisoner on the first leaf and the bloodstain on the cover the wretched man collapsed he sank his face in his hands and trembled all over where did you get it he groaned i didn't know i thought i'd lost it at the hotel that's enough said hopkins sternly whatever else you have to say you must say it in court you will walk down with me now to the police station well mr holmes i am very much obliged to you and to your friend for coming down to help me as it turns out your presence was unnecessary and i would have brought the case to this successful issue without you but none the less i am grateful rooms have been reserved for you at the bramalty hotel so we can all walk down to the village together well watson what do you think of it asked holmes as we travelled back next morning i can see that you're not satisfied oh yes my dear watson i am perfectly satisfied at the same time stanley hopkins's methods do not commend themselves to me i am disappointed in stanley hopkins 
i had hoped for better things from him one should always look for a possible alternative and provide against it it is the first rule of criminal investigation what then is the alternative the line of investigation which i have myself been pursuing it may give us nothing i cannot tell but at least i shall follow it to the end several letters were waiting for holmes at baker street he snatched one of them opened it and burst out into a triumphant chuckle of laughter ha excellent watson the alternative develops have you telegraph forms just write a couple of messages for me sumner shipping agent ratcliffe highway send three men on to arrive ten tomorrow morning basil that's my name in those parts and the other is inspector stanley hopkins 46 lord street brixton come breakfast tomorrow at nine thirty important wire if unable to come sherlock holmes there watson this infernal case has haunted me for ten days i hereby banish it completely from my presence tomorrow i trust that we shall hear the last of it forever sharp at the hour named inspector stanley hopkins appeared and we sat down together to the excellent breakfast which mrs hudson had prepared the young detective was in high spirits at his success you really think that your solution must be correct asked holmes i could not imagine a more complete case it did not seem to me conclusive you astonish me mr holmes what more could one ask for does your explanation cover every point undoubtedly i find that young nelligan arrived at the bramalty hotel on the very day of the crime he came on the pretence of playing golf his room was on the ground floor and he could get out when he liked that very night he went down to the woman's lee saw peter carey at the hut quarrelled with him and killed him with the harpoon then horrified by what he'd done he fled out of the hut dropping the notebook which he had brought with him in order to question peter carey about those different securities you may have observed that some of them were marked with ticks and the others the great majority were not those which are ticked have been traced on the london market but the others presumably were still in the possession of carey and young nelligan according to his own account was anxious to recover them in order to do the right thing by his father's creditors after his flight he did not dare to approach the hut again for some time but at last he forced himself to do so in order to obtain the information which he needed surely that is all simple and obvious holmes smiled and shook his head it seems to me to have only one drawback hopkins and that is that it is intrinsically impossible have you tried to drive a harpoon through a body no tut tut my dear sir you must really pay attention to these details my friend watson could tell you that i spent a whole morning in that exercise it is no easy matter and requires a strong and practised arm but this blow was delivered with such violence that the head of the weapon sank deep into the wall do you imagine that this anemic youth was capable of so frightful an assault is he the man who hobnobbed in rum and water with black peter in the dead of the night was it his profile that was seen on the blind two nights before no no hopkins 
it is another and more formidable person for whom we must seek the detective's face had grown longer and longer during holmes's speech his hopes and his ambitions were all crumbling about him but he would not abandon his position without a struggle you can't deny that nelligan was present that night mr holmes the book will prove that i fancy that i have evidence enough to satisfy a jury even if you are able to pick a hole in it besides mr holmes i have laid my hand upon my man as to this terrible person of yours where is he i rather fancy that he is on the stair said holmes serenely i think watson that you would do well to put that revolver where you can reach it he rose and laid a written paper upon a side table now we are ready said he there had been some talking in gruff voices outside and now mrs hudson opened the door to say that there were three men inquiring for captain basil show them in one by one said holmes the first who entered was a little ribston pippin of a man with ruddy cheeks and fluffy white side whiskers holmes had drawn a letter from his pocket what name he asked james lancaster i am sorry lancaster but the berth is full here is half a sovereign for your trouble just step into this room and wait there for a few minutes the second man was a long dried-up creature with lank hair and sallow cheeks his name was hugh pattins he also received his dismissal his half-sovereign and the order to wait the third applicant was a man of remarkable appearance a fierce bulldog face was framed in a tangle of hair and beard and two bold dark eyes gleamed behind the cover of thick tufted overhung eyebrows he saluted and stood sailor fashion turning his cap round in his hands your name asked holmes patrick cairns harpooner yes sir twenty-six voyages dundee i suppose yes sir and ready to start with an exploring ship yes sir what wages eight pounds a month could you start at once as soon as i get my kit have you your papers yes sir he took a sheaf of worn and greasy forms from his pocket holmes glanced over them and returned them you are just the man i want said he here's the agreement on the side table if you sign it the whole matter will be settled the seaman lurched across the room and took up the pen shall i sign here he asked stooping over the table holmes leaned over his shoulder and passed both hands over his neck this will do said he i heard a click of steel and a bellow like an enraged bull the next instant holmes and the seaman were rolling on the ground together he was a man of such gigantic strength that even with the handcuffs which holmes had so deftly fastened upon his wrists he would have very quickly overpowered my friend had hopkins and i not rushed to his rescue only when i pressed the cold muzzle of the revolver to his temple did he at last understand that resistance was vain we lashed his ankles with cord and rose breathless from the struggle i must really apologize hopkins said sherlock holmes i fear that the scrambled eggs are cold however you will enjoy the rest of your breakfast all the better will you not 
for the thought that you have brought your case to a triumphant conclusion stanley hopkins was speechless with amazement i don't know what to say mr holmes he blurted out at last with a very red face it seems to me that i've been making a fool of myself from the beginning i understand now what i should never have forgotten that i am the pupil and you are the master even now i see what you have done but i don't know how you did it or what it signifies well well said holmes good-humouredly we all learn by experience and your lesson this time is that you should never lose sight of the alternative you were so absorbed in young nelligan that you could not spare a thought to patrick cairns the true murderer of peter carey the hoarse voice of the seaman broke in on our conversation see here mister said he i make no complaint of being manhandled in this fashion but i would have you call things by their right names you say i murdered peter carey i say i killed peter carey and there's all the difference maybe you don't believe what i say maybe you think i'm just slinging you a yarn not at all said holmes let us hear what you have to say it's soon told and by the lord every word of its truth i knew black peter and when he pulled out his knife i whipped a harpoon through him sharp for i knew that it was him or me that's how he died you can call it murder anyway i'd as soon die with a rope round my neck as with black peter's knife in my heart how came you there asked holmes i'll tell it you from the beginning just sit me up a little so as i can speak easy it was in eighty three that it happened august of that year peter carey was master of the sea unicorn and i was spare harpooner we were coming out of the ice pack on our way home with head winds and a weak southerly gale when we picked up a little craft that had been blown north there was one man on her a landsman the crew had thought she would founder and made for the norwegian coast in the dinghy i guessed they were all drowned well we took him on board and this man and he and the skipper had some long talks in the cabin all the baggage we took off with him was in one tin box so far as i know the man's name was never mentioned and on the second night he disappeared as if he'd never been it was given out that he had either thrown himself overboard or fallen overboard in the heavy weather that we were having only one man knew what had happened to him and that was me for with my own eyes i saw the skipper tip up his heels and push him over the rail in the middle watch of a dark night two days before we sighted the shetland lights well i kept my knowledge to myself and waited to see what would come of it when we got back to scotland it was easily hushed up and nobody asked any questions a stranger died by accident and it was nobody's business to inquire shortly after peter carey gave up the sea and it was long years before i could find where he was i guessed that he had done the deed for the sake of what was in that tin box and that he could afford now to pay me well for keeping my mouth shut i found out where he was from a sailor man that had met him in london and down i went to squeeze him the first night he was reasonable enough and was ready to give me what would make me free of the sea for life we were to fix it all two nights later 
when i came i found him three parts drunk and in a vile temper we sat down and we drank and we yarned about old times but the more he drank the less i liked the look on his face i spotted that harpoon upon the wall and i thought i might need it before i was through then at last he broke out at me spitting and cursing with murder in his eyes and a great clasp knife in his hand he had not time to get it from the sheath before i had the harpoon through him heavens what a yell he gave and his face gets between me and my sleep i stood there with his blood splashing round me and i waited for a bit but all was quiet so i took heart once more i looked round and there was the tin box on the shelf i had as much right to it as peter carey anyhow so i took it with me and left the hut like a fool i left my backy pouch upon the table now i'll tell you the queerest part of the whole story i had hardly got outside the hut when i heard someone coming and i hid among the bushes a man came slinking along went into the hut gave a cry as if he'd seen a ghost and legged it as hard as he could run until he was out of sight who he was or what he wanted is more than i can tell for my part i walked ten miles got a train at tunbridge wells and so reached london and no one the wiser well when i came to examine the box i found there was no money in it and nothing but papers that i would not dare to sell i had lost my hold on black peter and was stranded in london without a shilling there was only my trade left i saw these advertisements about harpooners and high wages so i went to the shipping agents and they sent me here that's all i know and i say again that if i killed black peter the law should give me thanks for i saved them the price of a hempen rope a very clear statement said holmes rising and lighting his pipe i think hopkins that you should lose no time in conveying your prisoner to a place of safety this room is not well adapted for a cell and mr patrick cairns occupies too large a proportion of our carpet mr holmes said hopkins i do not know how to express my gratitude even now i don't understand how you attain this result simply by having the good fortune to get the right clue from the beginning it is very possible if i had known about this notebook it might have led away my thoughts as it did yours but all i heard pointed in the one direction the amazing strength the skill in the use of the harpoon the rum and water the sealskin tobacco pouch with the coarse tobacco all these pointed to a seaman and one who had been a whaler i was convinced that the initials p c upon the pouch were a coincidence and not those of peter carey since he seldom smoked and no pipe was found in his cabin you remember that i asked whether whiskey and brandy were in the cabin you said they were how many landsmen are there who would drink rum when they could get these other spirits yes i was certain it was a seaman and how did you find him my dear sir the problem had become a very simple one if it were a seaman it could only be a seaman who had been with him on the sea unicorn so far as i could learn he had sailed in no other ship 
i spent three days in wiring to dundee and at the end of that time i had ascertained the names of the crew of the sea unicorn in 1883 when i found patrick cairns among the harpooners my research was nearing its end i argued that the man was probably in london and that he would desire to leave the country for a time i therefore spent some days in the east end devised an arctic expedition put forth tempting terms for harpooners who would serve under captain basil and behold the result wonderful cried hopkins wonderful you must obtain the release of young nelligan as soon as possible said holmes i confess that i think you owe him some apology the tin box must be returned to him but of course the securities which peter carey has sold are lost forever there's the cab hopkins and you can remove your man if you want me for the trial my address and that of watson will be somewhere in norway i'll send particulars later end of the adventure of black peter Adventure seven in the return of Sherlock Holmes by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Adventure seven, the adventure of Charles Augustus Milverton. It is years since the incidents of which I speak took place, and yet it is with diffidence that I allude to them. For a long time, even with the utmost discretion and reticence, it would have been impossible to make the facts public but now the principal person concerned is beyond the reach of human law and with due suppression the story may be told in such fashion as to injure no one it records an absolutely unique experience in the career both of mr sherlock holmes and of myself the reader will excuse me if i conceal the date or any other fact by which he might trace the actual occurrence we have been out for one of our evening rambles holmes and i and had returned about six o'clock on a cold frosty winter's evening as holmes turned up the lamp the light fell upon a card on the table he glanced at it and then with an ejaculation of disgust threw it on the floor i picked it up and read charles augustus milverton appledore towers hampstead agent who is he i asked the worst man in london holmes answered as he sat down and stretched his legs before the fire is anything on the back of the card i turned it over we'll call at six thirty c a m i read hmm he's about due do you feel a creeping shrinking sensation watson when you stand before the serpents in the zoo and see the slithery gliding venomous creatures with their deadly eyes and wicked flattened faces well that's how milverton impresses me i've had to do with fifty murderers in my career but the worst of them never gave me the repulsion which i have for this fellow and yet i can't get out of doing business with him indeed he's here at my invitation but who is he i'll tell you watson he is the king of all the blackmailers heaven help the man and still more the woman whose secret and reputation come into the power of milverton with a smiling face and a heart of marble he will squeeze and squeeze until he has drained them dry 
the fellow is a genius in his way and would have made his mark in some more savoury trade his method is as follows he allows it to be known that he is prepared to pay very high sums for letters which compromise people of wealth and position he receives these wares not only from treacherous valets or maids but frequently from genteel ruffians who have gained the confidence and affection of trusting women he deals with no niggard hand i happen to know that he paid seven hundred pounds to a footman for a note two lines in length and that the ruin of a noble family was the result everything which is in the market goes to milverton and there are hundreds in this great city who turn white at his name no one knows where his grip may fall for he is far too rich and far too cunning to work from hand to mouth he will hold a card back for years in order to play it at the moment when the stake is best worth winning i've said that he is the worst man in london and i would ask you how could one compare the ruffian who in hot blood bludgeons his mate with this man who methodically and at his leisure tortures the soul and wrings the nerves in order to add to his already swollen money-bags i had seldom heard my friends speak with such intensity of feeling but surely said i the fellow must be within the grasp of the law technically no doubt but practically not what would it profit a woman for example to get him a few months imprisonment if her own ruin must immediately follow his victims dare not hit back if ever he blackmailed an innocent person then indeed we should have him but he is as cunning as the evil one no no we must find other ways to fight him and why is he here because an illustrious client has placed her piteous case in my hands it is the lady eva blackwell the most beautiful debutante of last season she's to be married in a fortnight to the earl of dovercourt this fiend has several imprudent letters imprudent watson nothing worse which were written to an impecunious young squire in the country they would suffice to break off the match milverton will send the letters to the earl unless a large sum of money is paid him i have been commissioned to meet him and to make the best terms i can at that instant there was a clatter and a rattle in the street below looking down i saw a stately carriage and pair the brilliant lamps gleaming on the glossy haunches of the noble chestnuts a footman opened the door and a small stout man in a shaggy astrakhan overcoat descended a minute later he was in the room charles augustus milverton was a man of fifty with a large intellectual head a round plump hairless face a perpetual frozen smile and two keen grey eyes which gleamed brightly from behind broad gold-rimmed glasses there was something of mr pickwick's benevolence in his appearance marred only by the insincerity of the fixed smile and by the hard glitter of those restless and penetrating eyes his voice was as smooth and suave as his countenance as he advanced with a plump little hand extended murmuring his regret for having missed us at his first visit holmes disregarded the outstretched hand and looked at him with a face of granite milverton's smile broadened 
he shrugged his shoulders removed his overcoat folded it with great deliberation over the back of a chair and then took a seat this gentleman said he with a wave in my direction is it discreet is it right dr watson is my friend and partner very good mr holmes it is only in your client's interests that i protested the matter is so very delicate dr watson has already heard of it then we can proceed to business you say that you're acting for lady eva has she empowered you to accept my terms what are your terms seven thousand pounds and the alternative my dear sir it is painful for me to discuss it but if the money is not paid on the fourteenth there certainly will be no marriage on the eighteenth his insufferable smile was more complacent than ever holmes thought for a while you appear to me he said at last to be taking matters too much for granted i am of course familiar with the contents of these letters my client will certainly do what i may advise i shall counsel her to tell her future husband the whole story and to trust to his generosity milverton chuckled you evidently do not know the earl said he from the baffled look upon holmes's face i could see clearly that he did what harm is there in the letters he asked they are sprightly very sprightly milverton answered the lady was a charming correspondent but i can assure you that the earl of dovercourt would fail to appreciate them however since you think otherwise we'll let it rest at that it is purely a matter of business if you think that it is in the best interests of your client that these letters should be placed in the hands of the earl then you would indeed be foolish to pay so large a sum of money to regain them he rose and seized his astrakhan coat holmes was gray with anger and mortification wait a little he said you go too fast we should certainly make every effort to avoid scandal in so delicate a matter milverton relapsed into his chair i was sure that you would see it in that light he purred at the same time holmes continued lady eva is not a wealthy woman i assure you that two thousand pounds would be a drain upon her resources and that the sum you name is utterly beyond her power i beg therefore that you will moderate your demands and that you will return the letters at the price i indicate which is i assure you the highest that you can get milverton's smile broadened and his eyes twinkled humorously i am aware that what you say is true about the lady's resources said he at the same time you must admit that the occasion of a lady's marriage is a very suitable time for her friends and relatives to make some little effort upon her behalf they may hesitate as to an acceptable wedding present let me assure them that this little bundle of letters would give more joy than all the candelabra and butter dishes in london it is impossible said holmes dear me dear me how unfortunate cried milverton taking out a bulky pocket-book i cannot help thinking that ladies are ill-advised in not making an effort 
Look at this. He held up a little note with a coat of arms upon the envelope. That belongs to, well, perhaps it is hardly fair to tell the name until tomorrow morning. But at that time it will be in the hands of the lady's husband, and all because she will not find a beggarly sum which she could get by turning her diamonds into paste. It is such a pity. Now, you remember the sudden end of the engagement between the Honourable Miss Miles and Colonel Dorking? Only two days before the wedding, there was a paragraph in the morning post to say that it was all off, and why? It is almost incredible, but the absurd sum of twelve hundred pounds would have settled the whole question. Is it not pitiful? And here I find you, a man of sense, boggling about terms when your client's future and honour are at stake you surprise me mr holmes what i say is true holmes answered the money cannot be found surely it is better for you to take the substantial sum which i offer and to ruin this woman's career which can profit you in no way there you make a mistake mr holmes an exposure would profit me indirectly to a considerable extent i have eight or ten similar cases maturing if it was circulated among them that i had made a severe example of the lady eva i should find all of them much more open to reason you see my point holmes sprang from his chair get behind him watson don't let him out now sir let us see the contents of that notebook milverton had glided as quickly as a rat to the side of the room and stood with his back against the wall mr holmes mr holmes he said turning the front of his coat and exhibiting the butt of a large revolver which projected from the inside pocket i have been expecting you to do something original this has been done so often and what good has ever come from it i assure you that i am armed to the teeth and i am perfectly prepared to use my weapons knowing that the law will support me besides your supposition that i would bring the letters here in a notebook is entirely mistaken i would do nothing so foolish and now gentlemen i have one or two little interviews this evening and it is a long drive to hampstead he stepped forward, took up his coat, laid his hand on his revolver, and turned to the door. I picked up a chair, but Holmes shook his head, and I laid it down again. With bow, a smile, and a twinkle, Milverton was out of the room, and a few moments after we heard the slam of the carriage door and the rattle of the wheels as he drove away. Holmes sat motionless by the fire his hands buried deep in his trouser pockets his chin sunk upon his breast his eyes fixed upon the glowing embers for half an hour he was silent and still then with the gesture of a man who has taken his decision he sprang to his feet and passed into his bedroom a little later a rakish young workman with a goatee beard and a swagger lit his clay pipe at the lamp before descending into the street i'll be back some time watson said he and vanished into the night 
I understood that he had opened his campaign against Charles Augustus Milverton, but I little dreamed the strange shape which that campaign was destined to take. For some days Holmes came and went at all hours in this attire, but beyond the remark that his time was spent at Hampstead, and that it was not wasted, I knew nothing of what he was doing. At last, however, on a wild, tempestuous evening, when the wind screamed and rattled against the windows, he returned from his last expedition, and, having removed his disguise, he sat before the fire and laughed heartily in his silent, inward fashion. "'You would not call me a marrying man, Watson?' "'No, indeed. You will be interested to hear that I am engaged.' "'My dear fellow, I congratulate to Milverton's housemaid. Good heavens, Holmes! I wanted information, Watson. Surely you've gone too far. It was a most necessary step. I am a plumber with a rising business, Escott by name. I have walked out with her each evening, and I have talked with her. Good heavens, those talks! However, I have got all I wanted. I know Milverton's house as I know the palm of my hand. "'But the girl, Holmes!' he shrugged his shoulders. "'You can't help it, my dear Watson. "'You must play your cards as best you can when such a stake is on the table. "'However, I rejoice to say that I have a hated rival "'who will certainly cut me out the instant that my back is turned. "'What a splendid night it is. "'You like this weather?' "'It suits my purpose, Watson. "'I mean to burgle Milverton's house to-night.' I had a catching of the breath, and my skin went cold at the words, which were slowly uttered in a tone of concentrated resolution. As a flash of lightning in the night shows up in an instant every detail of a wild landscape, so at one glance I seemed to see every possible result of such an action. The detection, the capture, the honoured career ending in an irreparable failure and disgrace, my friend himself lying at the mercy of the odious Milverton. "'For heaven's sake, Holmes, think what you're doing,' I cried. "'My dear fellow, I have given it every consideration. I am never precipitate in my actions, nor would I adopt so energetic and, indeed, so dangerous a course, if any other were possible. Let us look at the matter clearly and fairly. I suppose that you will admit that the action is morally justifiable, though technically criminal. To burgle his house is no more than to forcibly take his pocket-book, an action in which you were prepared to aid me. I turned it over in my mind. Yes, I said, it is morally justifiable, so long as our object is to take no articles save those which are used for an illegal purpose. Exactly. Since it is morally justifiable, I have only to consider the question of personal risk. Surely a gentleman should not lay much stress upon this, when a lady is in most desperate need of his help. You will be in such a false position. Well, that is part of the risk. There is no other possible way of regaining those letters. The unfortunate lady has not the money, and there are none of her people in whom she could confide. Tomorrow is the last day of grace, and unless we can get the letters to-night, this villain will be as good as his word and will bring about her ruin. 
i must therefore abandon my client to her fate or i must play this last card between ourselves watson it's a sporting duel between this fellow milverton and me he had as you saw the best of the first exchanges but my self-respect and my reputation are concerned to fight it to a finish well i don't like it but i suppose it must be said i when do we start you are not coming then you're not going said i i give you my word of honor and i never broke it in my life that i will take a cab straight to the police station and give you away unless you let me share this adventure with you you can't help me how do you know that you can't tell what may happen anyway my resolution is taken other people besides you have self-respect and even reputations holmes had looked annoyed but his brow cleared and he clapped me on the shoulder well well my dear fellow be it so we have shared this same room for some years and it would be amusing if we ended by sharing the same cell you know watson i don't mind confessing to you that i have always had an idea that i would have made a highly efficient criminal this is the chance of my lifetime in that direction see here he took a neat little leather case out of a drawer and opening it he exhibited a number of shining instruments this is a first-class up-to-date burgling kit with nickel-plated jemmy diamond-tipped glass cutter adaptable keys and every modern improvement which the march of civilization demands here too is my dark lantern everything is in order have you a pair of silent shoes i have rubber-soled tennis shoes excellent and a mask i can make a couple out of black silk i can see that you have a strong natural turn for this sort of thing very good do you make the masks we shall have some cold supper before we start it is now nine thirty at eleven we shall drive as far as church row it is a quarter of an hour's walk from there to appledore towers we shall be at work before midnight milverton is a heavy sleeper and retires punctually at ten thirty with any luck we should be back here by two with the lady eva's letters in my pocket holmes and i put on our dress clothes so that we might appear to be two theatre-goers homeward bound in oxford street we picked up a hansom and drove to an address in hampstead here we paid off our cab and with our greatcoats buttoned up for it was bitterly cold and the wind seemed to blow through us we walked along the edge of the heath it's a business that needs delicate treatment said holmes these documents are contained in a safe in the fellow's study and the study is the anteroom of his bedchamber on the other hand like all these stout little men who do themselves well he is a plethoric sleeper agatha that's my fiancee says it is a joke in the servants hall that it's impossible to wake the master he has a secretary who is devoted to his interests and never budges from the study all day that's why we're going at night then he has a beast of a dog which roams the garden i met agatha late the last two evenings and she locks the brute up so as to give me a clear run this is the house this big one in its own grounds through the gate now to the right among the laurels we might put on our masks here i think 
you see there is not a glimmer of light in any of the windows and everything is working splendidly with our black silk face coverings which turned us into two of the most truculent figures in london we stole up to the silent gloomy house a sort of tiled veranda extended along one side of it lined by several windows and two doors that's his bedroom holmes whispered this door opens straight into the study it would suit us best but it is bolted as well as locked and we should make too much noise getting in come round here there's a greenhouse which opens into the drawing-room the place was locked but holmes removed a circle of glass and turned the key from the inside an instant afterwards he had closed the door behind us and we had become felons in the eyes of the law the thick warm air of the conservatory and the rich choking fragrance of exotic plants took us by the throat he seized my hand in the darkness and led me swiftly past banks of shrubs which brushed against our faces holmes had remarkable powers carefully cultivated of seeing in the dark still holding my hand in one of his he opened a door and i was vaguely conscious that we had entered a large room in which a cigar had been smoked not long before he felt his way among the furniture opened another door and closed it behind us putting out my hand i felt several coats hanging from the wall and i understood that i was in a passage we passed along it and holmes very gently opened the door upon the right-hand side something rushed out at us and my heart sprang into my mouth but i could have laughed when i realized that it was the cat a fire was burning in this new room and again the, he the air was heavy with tobacco smoke holmes entered on tiptoe waited for me to follow and then very gently closed the door we were in milverton's study and a portiere at the farther side showed the entrance to his bedroom it was a good fire and the room was illuminated by it near the door i saw the gleam of an electric switch but it was unnecessary even if it had been safe to turn it on at one side of the fireplace was a heavy curtain which covered the bay window we had seen from outside on the other side was the door which communicated with the veranda a desk stood in the center with a turning chair of shining red leather opposite was a large bookcase with a marble bust of athene on the top in the corner between the bookcase and the wall there stood a tall green safe the firelight flashing back from the polished brass knobs upon its face holmes stole across and looked at it then he crept to the door of the bedroom and stood with slanting head listening intently no sound came from within meanwhile it had struck me that it would be wise to secure our retreat through the outer door so i examined it to my amazement it was neither locked nor bolted i touched holmes on the arm and he turned his masked face in that direction i saw him start and he was evidently as surprised as i was i don't like it he whispered putting his lips to my very ear i can't quite make it out anyhow we have no time to lose can i do anything yes stand by the door if you hear anyone come bolt it on the inside and we can get away as we came if they come the other way we can get through the door if our job is done 
or hide behind these window curtains if it is not do you understand i nodded and stood by the door my first feeling of fear had passed away and i thrilled now with a keener zest than i had ever enjoyed when we were the defenders of the law instead of its defiers the high object of our mission the consciousness that it was unselfish and chivalrous the villainous character of our opponent all added to the sporting interest of the adventure far from feeling guilty i rejoiced and exulted in our dangers with a glow of admiration i watched holmes unrolling his case of instruments and choosing his tool with the calm scientific accuracy of a surgeon who performs a delicate operation i knew that the opening of safes was a particular hobby with him and i understood the joy which it gave him to be confronted with this green and gold monster the dragon which held in its maw the reputations of many fair ladies turning up the cuffs of his dress coat he had placed his overcoat on a chair holmes laid out two drills a jemmy and several skeleton keys i stood at the center door with my eyes glancing at each of the others ready for any emergency though indeed my plans were somewhat vague as to what i should do if we were interrupted for half an hour holmes worked with concentrated energy laying down one tool picking up another handling each with the strength and delicacy of the trained mechanic finally i heard a click the broad green door swung open and inside i had a glimpse of a number of paper packets each tied sealed and inscribed holmes picked one out but it was as hard to read by the flickering fire and he drew out his little dark lantern for it was too dangerous with milverton in the next room to switch on the electric light suddenly i saw him halt listen intently and then in an instant he had swung the door of the safe too picked up his coat stuffed his tools into the pockets and darted behind the window curtain motioning me to do the same it was only when i had joined him there that i heard what had alarmed his quicker senses there was a noise somewhere within the house a door slammed in the distance then a confused dull murmur broke itself into the measured thud of heavy footsteps rapidly approaching they were in the passage outside the room they paused at the door the door opened there was a sharp snick as the electric light was turned on the door closed once more and the pungent reek of a strong cigar was borne to our nostrils then the footsteps continued backward and forward backward and forward within a few yards of us finally there was a creak from a chair and the footsteps ceased then a key clicked in a lock and i heard the rustle of papers so far i had not dared to look out but now i gently parted the division of the curtains in front of me and peeped through from the pressure of holmes's shoulder against mine i knew that he was sharing my observations right in front of us and almost within our reach was the broad rounded back of milverton it was evident that we had entirely miscalculated his movements that he'd never been to his bedroom but that he'd been sitting up in some smoking or billiard room in the farther wing of the house the windows of which we had not seen his broad grizzled head with its shining patch of baldness was in the immediate foreground of our vision he was leaning far back in the red leather chair 
his legs outstretched a long black cigar projecting at an angle from his mouth he wore a semi-military smoking jacket claret-coloured with a black velvet collar in his hand he held a long legal document which he was reading in an indolent fashion blowing rings of tobacco smoke from his lips as he did so there was no promise of a speedy departure in his composed bearing and his comfortable attitude i felt holmes's hand steal into mine and give me a reassuring shake as if to say that the situation was within his powers and that he was easy in his mind i was not so sure that he'd seen what was only too obvious from my position that the door of the safe was imperfectly closed and that milverton might at any moment observe it in my own mind i had determined that if i was sure from the rigidity of his gaze that it had caught his eye i would at once spring out throw my greatcoat over his head pinion him and leave the rest to holmes but milverton never looked up he was languidly interested by the papers in his hand and page after page was turned as he followed the argument of the lawyer at least i thought when he's finished the document and the cigar he will go to his room but before he had reached the end of either there came a remarkable development which turned our thoughts into quite another channel several times i had observed that milverton looked at his watch and once he had risen and sat down again with a gesture of impatience the idea however that he might have an appointment at so strange an hour never occurred to me until a faint sound reached my ears from the veranda outside milverton dropped his papers and sat rigid in his chair the sound was repeated and then there came a gentle tap at the door milverton rose and opened it well said he curtly you're nearly half an hour late so this was the explanation of the unlocked door and of the nocturnal vigil of milverton there was the gentle rustle of a woman's dress i had closed the slit between the curtains as milverton's face had turned in our direction but now i ventured very carefully to open it once more he had resumed his seat the cigar still projecting at an insolent angle from the corner of his mouth in front of him in the full glare of the electric light there stood a tall slim dark woman a veil over her face a mantle drawn round her chin her breath came quick and fast and every inch of the lithe figure was quivering with strong emotion well said milverton you made me lose a good night's rest my dear i hope you'll prove worth it you couldn't come any other time eh the woman shook her head well if you couldn't you couldn't if the countess is a hard mistress you have your chance to get level with her now bless the girl what are you shivering about that's right pull yourself together now let's get down to business he took a notebook from the drawer of his desk you say that you have five letters which compromise the countess d'albert you want to sell them i want to buy them so far so good it only remains to fix a price i should want to inspect the letters of course if they're really good specimens great heavens is it you the woman without a word had raised her veil and dropped the mantle from her chin it was a dark handsome clear-cut face which confronted milverton 
a face with a curved nose strong dark eyebrows shading hard glittering eyes and a straight thin-lipped mouth set in a dangerous smile it is i she said the woman whose life you have ruined milverton laughed but fear vibrated in his voice you were so very obstinate said he why did you drive me to such extremities i assure you i wouldn't hurt a fly of my own accord but every man has his business and what was i to do i put the price well within your means you would not pay so you sent the letters to my husband and he the noblest gentleman that ever lived a man whose boots i was never worthy to lace he broke his gallant heart and died you remember that last night when i came through that door i begged and prayed you for mercy and you laughed in my face as you are trying to laugh now only your coward heart can't keep your lips from twitching yes you never thought to see me here again but it was that night which taught me how i could meet you face to face and alone well charles milverton what have you to say don't imagine that you can bully me said he rising to his feet i have only to raise my voice and i could call my servants and have you arrested but i'll make allowance for your natural anger leave the room at once as you came and i will say no more the woman stood with her hand buried in her bosom and the same deadly smile on her thin lips you will ruin no more lives as you have ruined mine you will wring no more hearts as you wrung mine i will free the world of a poisonous thing take that you hound and that and that and that she had drawn a little gleaming revolver and emptied barrel after barrel into milverton's body the muzzle within two feet of his shirt front he shrank away and then fell forward upon the table coughing furiously and clawing among the papers then he staggered to his feet received another shot and rolled upon the floor you've done me he cried and lay still the woman looked at him intently and ground her heel into his upturned face she looked again but there was no sound or movement i heard a sharp rustle the night air blew into the heated room and the avenger was gone no interference upon our part could have saved the man from his fate but as the woman poured bullet after bullet into milverton's shrinking body i was about to spring out when i felt holmes's cold strong grasp upon my wrist i understood the whole argument of that firm restraining grip that it was no affair of ours that justice had overtaken a villain that we had our own duties and our own objects which were not to be lost sight of but hardly had the woman rushed from the room when holmes with swift silent steps was over at the other door he turned the key in the lock at the same instant we heard voices in the house and the sound of hurrying feet the revolver shots had roused the household with perfect coolness holmes slipped across to the safe filled his two arms with bundles of letters and poured them all into the fire again and again he did it until the safe was empty someone turned the handle and beat upon the outside of the door holmes looked swiftly round the letter which had been the messenger of death for milverton lay all mottled with his blood upon the table holmes tossed it in among the blazing papers then he drew the key from the outer door 
passed through after me and locked it on the outside this way watson said he we can scale the garden wall in this direction i could not have believed that an alarm could have spread so swiftly looking back the huge house was one blaze of light the front door was open and figures were rushing down the drive the whole garden was alive with people and one fellow raised a view hello as we emerged from the veranda and followed hard at our heels holmes seemed to know the grounds perfectly and he threaded his way swiftly among a plantation of small trees i close at his heels and our foremost pursuer panting behind us it was a six-foot wall which barred our path but he sprang to the top and over as i did the same i felt the hand of the man behind me grab at my ankle but i kicked myself free and scrambled over a grass-strewn coping i fell upon my face among some bushes but holmes had me on my feet in an instant and together we dashed away across the huge expanse of hampstead heath we had run two miles i suppose before holmes at last halted and listened intently all was absolute silence behind us we had shaken off our pursuers and were safe we had breakfasted and were smoking our morning pipe on the day after the remarkable experience which i have recorded when mr lestrade of scotland yard very solemn and impressive was ushered into our modest sitting-room good morning mr holmes said he good morning may i ask you if you're very busy just now not too busy to listen to you i thought that perhaps if you'd nothing particular on hand you might care to assist us in a most remarkable case which occurred only last night at amstead dear me said holmes what was that a murder a most dramatic and remarkable murder i know how keen you are upon those things and i would take it as a great favour if you would step down to appledore towers and give us the benefit of your advice it is no ordinary crime we have had our eyes upon this mr milverton for some time and between ourselves he was a bit of a villain he is known to have held papers which are used for blackmailing purposes these papers have all been burned by the murderers no article of value was taken as it is probable that the criminals were men of good position whose sole object was to prevent social exposure criminals said holmes plural yes there were two of them they were as nearly as possible captured red-handed we have their footmarks we have their description it's ten to one that we trace them the first fellow was a bit too active but the second was caught by the undergardener and only got away after a struggle he was a middle-sized strongly built man square jaw thick neck moustache a mask over his eyes that's rather vague said sherlock holmes my it might be a description of watson it's true said the inspector with amusement it might be a description of watson well i'm afraid i can't help you lestrade said holmes the fact is that i knew this fellow milverton that i considered him one of the most dangerous men in london and that i think there are certain crimes which the law cannot touch and which therefore to some extent justify private revenge no it's no use arguing i've made up my mind my sympathies are with the criminals rather than with the victim and i will not handle this case holmes had not said one word to me about the tragedy which we had witnessed 
but i observed all the morning that he was in the most thoughtful mood and he gave me the impression from his vacant eyes and his abstracted manner of a man who is striving to recall something to his memory we were in the middle of our lunch when he suddenly sprang to his feet by jove watson i've got it he cried take your hat come with me he hurried at his top speed down baker street and along oxford street until we had almost reached regent circus here on the left hand there stands a shop window filled with photographs of the celebrities and beauties of the day holmes's eyes fixed themselves upon one of them and following his gaze i saw the picture of a regal and stately lady in court dress with a high diamond tiara upon her noble head i looked at that delicately curved nose at the marked eyebrows at the straight mouth and the strong little chin beneath it then i caught my breath as i read the time-honored title of the great nobleman and statesman whose wife she had been my eyes met those of holmes and he put his finger to his lips as we turned away from the window end of the adventure of charles augustus milverton bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then place a five dollar wager on any sport you'll receive 150 dollars in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome and if you think the fun stops there the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store check out daily promotions same game parlays live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.